Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. We're, we're doing something uh, a little fun this morning, a little unusual and outside the box because it is Confirmation Sunday. And with our youth, the, the person who is in charge of making sure our youth are well instructed is our youth minister, Phil Bischoff. Um, if, if you have ever wondered who is the power behind Trunk or Treat and Feed a Family and the Summer Uniform Drive and all the great outreach things that we do, we're, we're wearing our shirts today. We, we heart Levine because it's all about outreach and loving our community and loving our world, as you're going to hear in today's um, message. But this is the man who, even more so than that, raised his hand to take on middle schoolers and high schoolers. I think that's pretty impressive. And he, yes. So he's our outreach minister, he's also our youth minister, and, uh, and he loves those kids, those 13 kids. You could just see it, they, they have such a great connection with each other, Phil and, and them, and so we're grateful that, that uh, Phil is here doing this ministry that he's doing with us. And um, he's gonna help me lead part of the message, and actually you're gonna get it kicked off, so. Yeah. All right, brother. Thanks, Jeff. Well, welcome to Confirmation Sunday. So I guess it's a fair question um, to ask, what is confirmation? The, the word confirm means to tell someone that something definitely happened. I remember when I was in college, my mom always wanted me to call her when I traveled anywhere to make sure that I got there safe, right? She wanted me to confirm that my arrival actually happened. Well, today, you and I, we get to confirm to God that our faith in him is real. And we do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Earlier in the 9 a.m. service, 13 young people had the chance to not only confirm their faith to God, but to everyone else in the church. And so today's just an awesome Sunday where we get to celebrate this unity of faith together in Jesus Christ. I want you to pull out your crosswalk notes. And as you can see, it says faith on fire. I'm really interested, I've always been in actual fire. I, I think all of us are a little bit intrigued by it when you see it. I remember when I was a little kid and I'd watch my dad flick his lighter to start the charcoal grill. And I just remember staring at that spark and being just a little fascinated with it. And then when I was in about fifth grade, I was part of a group called the Lutheran Boy Pioneers. And uh, as one of our tests, we had to start our own campfire, but we were given one match. And you had to go find your own kindling and your own firewood. And pretty soon I had a pretty good fire going. I, I made it happen. But actually those memories pale in comparison to my memories about fire in college. Okay, so uh, I went to a small little tiny Christian college in rural Minnesota, okay, for my first two years, and uh, that's where I met Scott Lipke, and Scott lived on a dairy farm just a couple miles away from the college, and on the weekends, he would invite us over, and we would make these ridiculously large bonfires, okay? We thought, hey, if a small fire is cool, a really big fire is a lot cooler, Right? And I remember how hot these things burned. 
I mean, we would throw trees on there and mattresses and, you know, we'd throw anything on there. It's out in the middle of his farm, right? And, and I also remember how bright these things got. I mean, you could, you could barely just look at it because you had to turn away. It was so bright. In fact, it was so bright that if there was anyone new that was coming out to Scott's house, you know, let's say we said, hey, come on out. We wouldn't give the person an address. We would just say, go down this road and look for the flames. And they'd find us every time. A fire like that was noticeable and it was unstoppable. I mean, you try to throw a cup of water on that thing and the fire would just like laugh back in your face, right? And so we actually get that phrase in English, on fire, when we notice someone because they're unstoppable. Think of a basketball game. When you tell someone that they're on fire, it's because they're hitting every shot, right? They're burning up the net. They're unstoppable. Today, you and I have every reason to be on fire for our faith. We have every reason to have a faith that's noticeable to others and to have a faith that's unstoppable. Not because we're unstoppable, but because God is. And if if you're wondering what does it look like or what does it sound like to have a faith that's on fire, look no further than the book of Romans. The apostle Paul was on fire for his faith. Let's look there. That's your first verse there on the notes. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You see, Paul wanted to make it clear to people that he had a faith that was on fire for Jesus. You see, Paul, he was completely changed by Jesus Christ. And now he was dedicating his life to telling other people about him. But the thing is, is there were some people who actually questioned whether Paul was really on fire for Jesus. And I'll tell you why. You see, Paul right now was pretty well known in the church at this point. I mean, you're gonna notice a guy Talk about unstoppable. Paul was a little bit unstoppable on the other side. He was unstoppable persecuting and approving of the death of Christians. That's where Paul started as Saul. And then God got a hold of him. And now he was, he's one of the most famous missionaries of all time. And so here we have Paul going on missionary trips to all over the world, uh, telling people about his faith. But guess one place that he hadn't been to was Rome. And the reason why this book is called Romans is because Paul was writing to the Romans, to the Roman Christians who were in little house churches, and and Paul hadn't gotten to Rome yet. He wanted to go, but he hadn't gone there. And some people question his faith for that. And let me give you an example of why they may be questioning him. Okay, let's say this past Friday was was a... uh, a celebration at Cesar Chavez Park called the Star Spangled Banner Celebration. It was awesome. They had fire trucks and my little girl had a fire hose out there and it was, it was really fun. And imagine if I asked you to go there past Friday and I, want you, I wanted you to go and to, to meet a couple people and converse with them. And by the end of the conversation, I'd want you to just share your faith in Jesus with them. Tell them a little bit about Jesus Christ and about your faith. 
Now, I bet most of you, along with me, that, that'd be a little intimidating, right? Uh, talking about your faith. But you know what? I, I bet that most of us, with a little bit of prayer and meditation on God's word and some encouragement, we'd be able to do it. But now what if I asked you to go to New York City and I asked you to go to Times Square and to Wall Street and to Central Park, not with a megaphone or anything, but just the same thing, go there, strike up some conversations with people, get to know some people and share your faith with them. It's a little different story when we're talking about New York City, isn't it? Place from all over the world, you have people from all different faiths, from all different backgrounds, right? It's a, it's a center of, of finances and knowledge, and you just don't know how people are going to react. It's a little bit more intimidating. But now, what if I told you I wanted you to go to Libya or to Syria or to Iraq, and I wanted you to witness your faith to a member of ISIS? Now, that's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? To go to a place where even very recently, Christians have died because of their faith. Well, I want you to think of Rome in Paul's day as New York City and the Middle East all wrapped up into one. It was a place at this time, it was the center of knowledge, the center of learning. You had people of, of, of all different faiths coming. And it was a place where a Christian could be physically harmed for his or her faith. So that's why people question, well, Paul, you haven't gone there. That's the place to be. Are you really on fire for Jesus? And the thing is, is that you and I, we don't have to travel to New York City. We don't have to travel to the Middle East to find obstacles to our faith, do we? Paul didn't have to travel to Rome to find obstacles of, of, of things that might cause him to be ashamed of the gospel. There's things right here on our own lives that put water on the fire of our faith, right? And some of those things are sometimes people. You have neighbors, you have friends, you have people in society that you might look up to, and yes, even family members who think you're a fool for believing in Jesus. And then there's false teaching. There's other religions and philosophies and, and ways of thinking that, that basically say, you know, it, it's okay to say that, that Jesus existed. It's okay to say that Jesus is a way, but to say that Jesus is the only way, to say that the Bible is completely true, well, now you're just going too far. I have a friend who I've known my entire life, and he's been a Christian his entire life until now. In a conversation with him pretty recently, he now says, you know, I think Jesus might be a way, but not the only way. And he has that self-admittedly because of other things that he's learned. You know what another obstacle to our faith is? One that we all get is suffering. There's times when, when we go through pain or we see the pain of others and we look up and we say, why? And does, does a God even exist that really cares about me? A couple weeks ago, there was a family that's connected to our Lutheran church body that um, is from Nebraska, and, and, and they were driving, and they stopped at a stoplight, and a truck hit them from behind and pushed them into oncoming traffic. And a nine-year-old boy and a 19-year-old young man from that family died. 
You think that family's struggling with having a faith on fire for Jesus right now? Sometimes I wonder if on this screen behind me, if, if we could just pick out the most painful moment in each one of your life and my life and put it up on the screen, what that would look like. Just one. And I wonder if it would cause some of us to dampen the fire of our faith a little bit. But you know what? After all those things, I want to tell you the most deceptive and the most powerful obstacle to my faith. And that's me. My own sinful nature is the most devious and powerful obstacle to my faith. Because you know why? Because a lot of the time I'm content with just having a campfire-sized faith. You know, one of those, one of those size faiths, it's just comfortable and you can roast marshmallows around it and it's not too bright and it's not too hot. It's just a nice, comfortable faith. No one's going to get hurt by it. It's comfortable. It's nice. And then there's times where I'm okay with even just a spark of a faith and I'm okay staying there. And the reason that I'm okay staying there is because there's things that are blocking me from having a bonfire faith. And I know those things. And those things are my hurts of my past that I can't get over. When people have hurt me and I can't let it go. Those things are my habits that I can't break. These bad habits that every time I do them, I'm pouring fuel on a different fire. And I know that it's my craving for pleasure and ease that I can't satisfy. Those things are getting in the way of me having a bonfire faith. And I'm going to steal a phrase that Pastor Dan likes to say. He likes to say, uh, newsflash, and I've learned that that means, okay, I should know this. Newsflash, I should know this. Your biggest enemy to your faith is you. I'm not unique in that. You know, you know how those fires that we, we built at Scott Lipke's house, you know how we, you know how we uh, put them out? You know what we did? We didn't do anything. We would just let them burn. We wouldn't add any more logs to the fire and we just clear it out and it would take a long time, but we wouldn't do anything and the fire would eventually go out. Guys, here's the deal. Your faith is your most precious gift from God. God gives us that faith and he says he wants us to maintain the fire of our faith. Our faith needs fuel. And Jeff's gonna come out and talk about what that amazing fuel is. But before he does, I want you to fill in the first fill in. And this is a question I want all of us to ask. Here's the question. Is everything I'm doing in life, yes, everything I'm doing in life, leading to building a bonfire faith? Not just a spark faith, not just a campfire faith, but a raging bonfire faith. Write that down. Well, to answer that question, I think we couldn't be studying a better book of the Bible than, than Romans. And Romans chapter one is a great chapter of that book and the apostle Paul who wrote it better yet. And do you know why? Those things that Phil just mentioned as buckets of water that can easily get poured on the the flames of our faith and and attempt to put it out, Paul knew all of those intimately. Paul knew opposition from people. 
Paul knew what it was like to go out and, and, and try to share the gospel and, and have people down his throat, literally, people trying to kill him, constantly getting arrested and put in jail because of his message and, and his faith and his beliefs. Paul, Paul knew what it was to face tragedy. He, he knew how, how people that he was ministering to, all, all the lives of the people that that had been touched by the gospel were themselves, and he was their pastor who loved them. They were themselves struggling with all these, these massive tragedies. As Phil said, we, we could put up a screen of them. Well, Paul could have put up a screen for every one of the congregations that he started as a missionary of the, the hurts that people were going through. He, he knew that. Paul especially knew the struggles of his own inner sinful nature. Remember Paul's history, how he hadn't even started out as a Christian, but as a Pharisee, someone who had been taught and who firmly and sincerely believed that if a relationship with God was to be healed and, and, and brought back together, it was, up to, it was up to him. It was up to him changing his ways and being good and generating his, his own goodness and righteousness. As a Pharisee, he had been trained that it was all up to his effort. And then as he persecuted the church, well, he says to Timothy, if there's any greater sinners, I, I don't know them because I am the chief of sinners. In Romans chapter seven, he, he, he has that, that beautiful but very real and honest and transparent passage where he says, you know those good things that I want to do? I find that I, I don't do them. And the evil things that I want to avoid doing those are the very things that I find that I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. That's how Paul felt about himself. And, and he saw all these buckets of water threatening to be poured on his faith. And yet, here as he writes to the Romans many years into his following of Jesus Christ, we see a man whose faith is still on fire and burning brighter than ever. How does he do that? What are the things that are the, the huge logs, or if you're Phil Bischoff, apparently the mattresses that you throw on your fire? And where did Paul find those logs and mattresses to throw on the fire so that his faith burned more brightly every day? Well, you're going to be amazed, if you're a long-term Christian especially, at how simple they are. There, there are things that you know well. But at the same time, you're, you're going to be amazed, and especially if you're a guest or a visitor here, that it's one of those areas where they're simple but not necessarily easy. To keep coming back to these truths, these beautiful gospel truths to refuel the, the, the fire of your faith. And so, as most of us know, building a fire is, is not rocket science. There are a few simple tools. Paul says the same thing here in, in Romans. There are a few simple tools, but are you using them? Am I using them? That's, that's the question we have to ask ourselves. And I want to take you back to that passage Phil read, Romans 1, 16 and 17. Let's break it down a little bit. And, and, and keep asking ourselves, is everything I'm doing in life leading to building a bonfire faith of my own? So Paul starts here. Let's, let's look at his faith. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Will you circle that word gospel? And why is he not ashamed of the gospel? 
because it's the power of God, and then I highlighted this last part, that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So I want to I especially have us look at that, that highlighted part. And what Paul is suggesting to you and to me is, you have a God, we have a God in Christ, who wants everyone to be saved to enjoy eternal salvation especially. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, what your personal history, what personal baggage you're carrying. Paul ends this by saying, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. That was his way of saying, this is, this is for all y'all. This is for everybody. There's one other thing that Paul in his day had to face that that sometimes threatens to, to pour water on our faith. And I think it's important that we just be upfront and blatant about it. Whether it's Phil's friend or, or other people that struggle with their faith, one of the main questions that, that people sometimes ask is, but there are, there are so many faiths. There, there are so many supposed gods in this world. H- how do we get to be confident how, how do we know for sure that this way is, as Jesus calls it, the way, the truth, and the life? How can we know that what Jesus is claiming there is really, really real? And here we see a man who was convinced of that in a world where there were all kinds of different gods and faiths. So studying Paul is really helpful to this question. We live in a smaller world now. As our young people go away to college, they're going to be introduced to all kinds of different faiths. And many of them are going to run the risk of, of for the very first time, going, oh my goodness, who knew? And that person who's not a Christian, they're such a nice person. There's, they seem like such a good person. And pretty soon, the questions creep in. How can I know for sure and, and make the claim that Jesus Christ is the only way? And yet, many years into his faith, faced with those same kinds of obstacles, that's exactly what Paul is making the claim to. Jesus Christ is the way. And and what I want to point out to you is one of the biggest reasons why Paul did that and why his faith burned so brightly. He talks about, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Do you know what that is? I had you circle it. The gospel, its most simple, basic definition is this. It's the good news that God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross so that your sins could be forgiven and my sins could be forgiven. And three days later, he raised his son, Christ, from the dead in this unprecedented resurrection from death to show that death itself had been defeated, that sin had been defeated, and that the divide between a holy God and sinful people like us had been healed. It had been bridged by Christ. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And it's for you. And Paul says what this gospel tells us is that we have a God in the Bible, that is like no other God. And one of the things that convinces me that this God is the true God is just how personal he is with us. Why did he send his son? 
He sent his son especially so that we could call God Father. In fact, not just Father, but Abba Father. That's the kind of close, personal relationship that God wants with you, that you can call him Dad every day because of what Christ did by dying on the cross for you. What does Jesus want to be called? Just before he goes to that death on a cross, he looks at his disciples and he, and he says, you know what, I no longer call you servants. I now call you friends. In fact, Jesus wants to be even more than a friend with us. He wants to be a brother to us and we, he wants us to call ourselves not only friends, but his brothers and sisters. And, and jointly one Hold God the Father to be all of our Father. That's the sign that God, our God, wants to have this close personal relationship. Now, as you explore other religions in our world today, as Paul looked at all the other religions in his world 2,000 years ago, he saw no other God like this. Even the Holy Spirit, think about that. What does Jesus call him? Not a powerful force that I'm going to send into your lives. Not, not some sort of impersonal energy. He says, I will send you the counselor. How many of us don't long for someone that we can trust enough just to sit down and, and talk with and pour out what's really going on in our hearts? And Jesus, when he left, said, I'm, I'm going away now to prepare a place for you in heaven, but, but don't worry, you're not alone. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, the counselor. What's the other name that he gives the Holy Spirit? The counselor and the comforter. This, this to Paul was saying, there's no God like this. A personal God who wants a close, personal relationship with you and who will walk with you through life, guard you, protect you, love you every day, make you feel accepted. In the world, you're gonna encounter obstacles all the time where you're gonna question, do, do others accept me? And, and how powerful that is when we don't feel accepted. Jesus says, you have a personal God who loves you every day, and accepts you every day, and that's God, and far more important than what any human being thinks about you. That's a thought that was a huge log on Paul's fire of faith. And, and look at 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, because now he progresses at one more step. This personal loving God, what does he want for you? What, what is the outcome he seeks? This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So we write this in. This God that we follow, we believe in the existence of a loving God who wants us all to be saved. That's the beautiful outcome that he wants for all of us. That's why he died on the cross and rose again. Now let's go back to verse 16 and this time I highlighted a different part of it. I highlighted the front part of it. Notice he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. Underline those words, power of God. And then I want you to draw a line to gospel because that's what Paul is saying here is that the gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ is amazingly powerful. 
Now, maybe you can relate to it this way. This is how I relate to this. Sometimes in my yard, I have jobs that I don't have the right tools for. And I could take out my little red camping knife that has the little saw attachment and go out into my backyard and try to trim up the trees and the bushes and make them look good with my little army knife saw. Or I could find a dear friend, a trusted relative, someone that I know loves me and cares about me and say, do you have a power tool that I could use? Do you have something more that I could use? I need... I've got a lot of brush to clear, a lot of trees to trim, a lot of bushes to, to make look good. What do you got? Now, I, I actually have a neighbor like that who will, who will help me out in a pinch with a power tool. But you all have a neighbor like that who will help you out with a power tool. And I'm talking now about a spiritual power tool that you need for the spiritual cleanup that has to happen in your heart and in your mind and in your life. And the, and, the, and the brush and the bramble of sin and the tangles and, and, and the huge branches of, of sin that have occurred in your life. And we all have them. We all have them. I have them. You have them. And they need to be cleared away so that we can see clear to have a great relationship with our Father, with our brother Jesus, with our counselor, the Holy Spirit. And God is this neighbor now. This, this personal friend that we can go to and he says, I have got such a power tool for you. And it's called the gospel. And this power tool is able to clear sin and all its tangles out of your heart. Sin and all of its tangles out, out of your mind and your, and your life. And it will do it for you. It will take care of the job for you. This powerful gospel. Look at what it says in Romans 6. This is a few chapters later. We're in Romans 1, 16 and 17. Now, five chapters later in Romans 6, Paul says this. We were therefore buried with him through baptism. Now, you don't get a more beautiful picture than what we saw today of the washing away of sin than baptism. We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So Paul is saying, first of all, this power tool is for right now. That if you employ the gospel in your life, if you trust that Jesus is your savior, if you listen to the fact that, that he died on the cross to forgive all your sins and to win a new life for you, that's life-changing right here, right now. It's one of the reasons why here at Crosswalk we have a resilience and recovery ministry. And a resilience and recovery ministry, by the way, that is completely centered around the cross and the empty tomb, completely focused on the good news of Jesus Christ because we believe that is the healing power for this life and that it truly can make a difference. And sometimes we need specific applications of that gospel. It's why we created, if you remember the, the series, Jesus Healer, we created, created the acronym. If you haven't looked at it in a little while, I, I want to I encourage you strongly, go back and look at the resilience acronym. Go back and listen to the Jesus Healer series if need be. 
The very first one is this, R, rest in Jesus and his promises. If you ever go to a recovery ministry, it's the very first thing that you're going to hear every week, rest in Jesus and his promises. And you'll go through every one of the other letters. And who needs a resilience and recovery ministry? People with addictions, yes, but also you. Because our recovery ministry is really for anyone who has a hurt or a habit or a hang-up. And, and many of the people who, who, mat, who meet on, on Saturday nights, some of them have addictions they're struggling with, but many don't. Many are just there because they've got a hurt or a habit or a hang-up, and they want the love and the support and the acceptance of people who have heard the gospel and applied it to their own hurts. Many times, for example, it, it might be the spouse of someone who is struggling with an addiction who is also there. Because that person needs the love and the support of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Notice it says, so that we too may live a new life right here, right now. But Paul goes on and he says, for we have been united with him in death like this, in a death like this, and we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his, which goes on even further to say, the greatest new life that Jesus has to offer you in the gospel is eternal life. So write this down. We believe in the power of a message from God to change lives right now and for eternity. Yes, we have resilience and recovery ministry. We also have Christian funeral services where we comfort people with the gospel, telling them your friend, your relative, your loved one is not dead. He's alive. She's with Jesus now in heaven. And we're confident of that because of the gospel. And what was the third thing that kept Paul's faith burning bright? Look at verse 17. For in the gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. If we have a personal God who loves us, and that kept Paul's faith, that thought, that gospel thought kept Paul's faith burning more brightly every day. And if that God has a power tool to, to help us clear the brush and bramble of sin out of our hearts, something we couldn't accomplish by our own efforts. Paul knew that as a former Pharisee. Now Paul says, that power tool that God has for you, it has a diamond tip. And this is the part of the power tool that is gonna do the heavy lifting, the heavy work. And what is the diamond tip on the, on the power tool that we call the gospel? It is the righteousness of God that Christ offers us because we can't generate our own righteousness because of sin. We may fool ourselves at times to think, oh, I, I'm a good person. Our culture, our society will often try to teach us, I'm a good person. Watch, watch any news program and you will often see someone commit a heinous crime and a friend or a neighbor or a mom or a dad will, will come on in an interview just shaking their head 
and going, I, I don't understand. I don't know how, how my child did this, how my neighbor did this. He's such, can you finish it? A good person. You know what the Bible says? Not a one of us is a good person, not by nature. We're all sinners, which is the very opposite of being a good person. We're deeply in need of righteousness, which we don't have on our own. And, and we can fool ourselves. We can self-deceive into thinking, I'm a pretty good person. But just like the old saying goes, you can fool some of the people all of the time and all of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. There's going to come a point in your life where you're going to do something and you're going to stop fooling yourself. You're going to do something that's really hurtful to someone and, and you're going to step back from that and go, I don't know how I did that. That was so, that's not me. That was so hurtful. And that is God bringing you to the realization of how much you need Jesus and this diamond tip on this tool called the righteousness of God. And what is the righteousness of God? It is Christ living a perfect life in your place from conception through death and then lovingly, kindly saying, I want you to have it. Because I know a holy God requires you to be righteous, to be in his presence. Especially if you want to be in his presence for eternity, you're going to need to be holy like God is holy. And it's pretty clear you're not going to get there on your own. So I, Jesus, as the Son of God, as your Savior, I have generated the righteousness that you need by living a perfect life in the eyes of the law and in the eyes of God. Only I'm not going to keep my record for, my, for myself. My report card, I'm going to give it to all of you so that when you stand before God on judgment day, you can claim Christ as your righteousness and say, God, look at me through the lens of Christ, not through the lens of me. That's the righteousness we all need. Look at, look at what it says in Romans 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. This is a righteousness that we might like to ignore by convincing ourselves that we're good people. We might think, why do I need God? Paul says, you need God. You need Christ. Because the whole world will be held accountable to God for sins. Don't ignore this righteousness. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. We need this. It's a necessity for us. But at the same time, what God demands, he gives. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. Here's the last thing that kept Paul's faith burning brightly, the diamond tip on this power tool that his father, his friend, his brother, his counselor gave to him. We believe in a righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. We believe in a righteousness that cannot be earned and cannot be ignored.
Well, right now I get to do something that I love doing. Um, you know, there's those personality profiles out there that, that tell you your strengths. I love telling people that they're awesome in, in, a, in a true way. I, I, I love encouraging people. And I get to do that today to all of you. And the reason I get to do that all today is because there is evidence that God has given you, the people of Crosswalk Church, I like calling you crosswalkers. God has given you, crosswalkers, a bonfire faith, and there's evidence of that. I sometimes feel as the most blessed guy at Crosswalk as director of outreach because I get to see things like a whole church come together and welcome 1,200 people onto our campus for Trunk or Treat, where we spend months preparing for just a two-hour event, where we welcome people that we don't know, but we smile and we say, we're glad you're here. And we say, you know what? It'd be great for you to come to church because we love Jesus and we want you to know him. I get the opportunity of seeing our church band together and, and collect hundreds of pounds of food to, to feed over 900 people for feed a family. And I get to see the family that leads that ministry turn their house into a grocery store where they keep all the food there. And then I get to see a bunch of crosswalkers show up to the house in shirts like these, pick up the food and deliver it to homes of people they don't know in neighborhoods that sometimes aren't the safest and to do it with a smile and to do it with an invite card and say, come check us out at Crosswalk Church. I get to read the prayer requests from all of you about people in your life that you want to know Jesus and you pray for them on a weekly basis. I get to see how the first time guests hear about Crosswalk and over half the time it's because one of you invited them. I get to see all this evidence that you have a bonfire faith and I thank God for you. I also thank God that I'm able to teach confirmation class because you know what? The Holy Spirit can have a, a bonfire faith and even a seventh or an eighth grader. So a couple months ago, I asked the students, and I didn't let them know about this message or anything. I asked them, write something about what your faith means to you, and in five years, what you think you'll be doing to grow that faith. And I want to give you a couple examples from what the students said. Number one, here's what one student said. Belonging to God is what I live for, because I wouldn't be alive without Christ's sacrifice of his own life. There's no greater purpose in life than serving the Lord. Christ giving up his life is the reason why I'm not ashamed or embarrassed to say that I'm a Christian. In five years, I'm going to keep on working on not giving in to selfishness, greed, or drama in my life or any other sin that will increase the distance between myself and God's word. This student can really, can really see inside of themselves. Devoting my life to him is the least I can do to thank him for the gift of his one and only son. Second student, in five years, I'll follow my mom's footsteps by going to church and serving the community, not for myself, but for him. It will mean something because I'm doing it to represent him. I plan on doing all the classes at Crosswalk. Pastor Dan is like, yeah, Cross it, all right, crosswalk classes. I want to go on a mission trip to spread the word about God to those who don't know him or think that they're not important to God's heart. Last one. Jesus Christ giving his life so that I could be with God means that he will always love me and he will always show me grace. Without that love and grace he showed by putting Jesus on the cross, I know that all of us would be condemned to an eternal life of hell. 
five years from now, I see myself as a powerful Christian. Not only do I have many people telling me this, but I feel like God himself is telling me I'm gonna do something great in my life. When I get older, I still plan on going to church and being a volunteer. And listen to this. I have many great mentors at Crosswalk Church supporting me who love me as much as my own family. To serve Christ and his kingdom, I will pass his word to many people in my community as my family and I currently do today. Talk about faith on fire. So why do we do it, church? Why do we do trunk or treat and feed a family and want to get people into church? And why do the confirmation students spend two years studying and, and now they're writing stuff like that? Is it because we're just good people? We're just, we're just people who are just better than others, huh? No, right? It's because all those things that Jeff talked about, right? It's because we, we believe in the existence of a loving God who cares about us. We believe in the possibility of a changed life right now and for eternity. And we know that we have peace with God, a peace that passes all understanding from a righteousness, not our, our own, but a righteousness from God. That is what fuels our fire. And I'm gonna go through the last passage here. And you ever read through the Bible and sometimes you know, if you read through the Bible and, and, and sometimes you'll read a verse a couple times and, you know, you go back to it and maybe you've, you've read the same verse a couple of times, but God speaks to you differently in that verse. The Holy Spirit teaches you something different in that same verse. That's what happened to me here. I want to put the, the last verse up on the string, screen here. Acts 28, 30 to 31, it says, For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and he taught him about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now we've got to point some things out here. I want you to circle the word there and guess what city Paul's in? He's in Rome. Remember I said at the beginning of the message there was one place Paul hadn't been to and people were questioning whether he was really on fire for the faith? Well, Paul's there. He made it to Rome. And you know what? It's a little deceiving because it says the house that he rented. Okay, actually, you can circle that and you can put the word prison because Paul was on house arrest. He wasn't a free man. He could live in a house, but under guard. And guess why he was there in prison in Rome? Because of his faith. Because he was spreading the message of Jesus and the Romans didn't like that. And guess what eventually happened to Paul in Rome? He was martyred for his faith. He was killed by the emperor Nero. So now knowing that, I want you to look at verse 31 again and you'll read it differently. It says that he proclaimed the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now say this with me, with all boldness and without hindrance. With all boldness and without hindrance in Rome where you could die for your faith. Paul was there and he was telling people about Jesus, knowing what could happen to him. If Paul could be in Rome doing that and have a bonfire faith, God can create a bonfire faith in you through the power of the gospel, each and every one of you. A faith that is noticeable, a faith that is unstoppable because God is unstoppable. I want you to put in the fill in there, when we believe in the existence of a loving God, the possibility of an eternally changed life and the gift of peace with God through his righteousness, not our own, 
we will want to keep stoking the fire of our own faith. So stop there. Keep stoking the fire of our own faith. The thing is, all those outreach things I talked about, feed a family and trunk or treat and inviting someone, you can't do any of that unless your own faith is on fire. Keep stoking your own fire. Maybe the way you're going to do that, and here's how I like to phrase it. We talk about next steps at Crosswalk. Today, I want you to think about what's the next log you're going to put on your faith fire. Is that you're going to commit to coming to church every Sunday through this David series, knowing you're going to hear God's words and promises? Is it you're going to commit to going to hashtag church in a couple weeks so you can get more plugged in, connected into God's word and to God's people? Is it that you're going to get, uh, you're going to commit to going to the summer growth group on Wednesday nights where you'll be around other Christians and around God's word? Or maybe you'll commit to reading your Bible at home. Or what about committing to joining a ministry team where you get to work shoulder to shoulder with other Christians who will help fan that flame and encourage you? So once you do that, we can be like Paul because Paul, man, they wanted to shut him up, but, but they couldn't. Look at Paul wrote over half of the New Testament. Paul wanted to set the world on fire for Jesus. And the reason then that we do all these outreach events is because we don't want to keep this faith to ourselves. We're not happy with a spark faith. We're not happy with a campfire faith. We know who Jesus is and we have a bonfire faith and we want to set the world on fire because that's what faith naturally does. So fill this in. We will want to set the world on fire for Jesus. And what we're going to do now is normally do this at a different part of the service, but we're going to say the Apostles' Creed together right now because that is an awesome creed to say at Confirmation Sunday where we're confirming to God and to each other our common faith. So would you say this with me? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity today to confirm our faith in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, we, we readily admit that there's so many temptations in life that can put out that fire of faith in us. But God, how awesome is it that you give us an unending supply of fuel. You give us your promises, the promise that you do exist and you're a loving God. You give us the knowledge that we have this powerful message that tells us that we're forgiven. And, and God, what we're all searching for, you give, us, you give us peace. A peace that the world cannot give. A peace that only you can give that we know our lives can change now and most importantly for eternity, all because of your son. God, I ask that for each and every one of us in here, you lead us to what our next log on our faith fire is and you help us commit to doing that. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.
So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. You know, many of us are going through really tough things in our lives right now. There, there might be tragedies like the one film mentioned with the, the, the accident on the road. There could be sins that we're struggling intensely with and the guilt and the shame that go along with that, struggles in our relationships, hardships with our health. But I want to strongly encourage you to keep fueling your faith the way the Apostle Paul did, and it's pretty simple. He never, in the midst of all the challenges to his faith, forgot that he has a personal God who who wanted to be called his, his father, his brother, his friend, his counselor, his comforter, and you have that same God. And you, you have the same gospel. Don't underestimate the power of the gospel to change your life. If, if you're in a position in your life where maybe you need a specific application of that, like recovery, resilience, and recovery ministry, to take hold of that opportunity because the gospel is truly life-changing. And don't especially forget that diamond tip of Christ's righteousness that cuts through the toughest of sins and even death in the power of Satan. Amazing tools with which you can use to cut the next log that you're going to throw on the fire to keep your faith raging. Let, let me send you home today with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace, the peace that goes beyond all understanding. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord, everyone. We'll see you out on the patio.